I had a wonderful time, and, and I was able to read a couple of books. You guys know I love to read, and I'm reading books right now on various wars. I'm reading the Korean War right now, and there was a story in one of the books I read that was funny, but it just struck me differently because it is so true about how each one of us lives. It's a story of one of the units that was serving over in Korea, and they had taken on a local Korean boy to be more or less their, their housemate, to come and to clean for them, and like many of the soldiers, they would find somebody local to come and clean and cook and take care of their things. And the story told how this group of young men that were in the battle, the American soldiers, they were young and they were a group of pranksters. And they had a tendency to take advantage of the naivety of the young Korean boy. And so they decided to play some jokes on him. And every chance they had, they would play various jokes on him. They would get Vaseline and they would rub it on the stove handles and on the pot handles so that they would slide out of his hand and he get it all over his hand whenever he would go to cook. They would stick the old bucket in the doorway where when he would open the door, the bucket of water would fall on him. And they even got to a point where they would take his shoes and they would nail them to the floor in the morning so that when he got up, he would put his shoes on and he couldn't go anywhere. And you know, the whole time, this young Korean boy seemed to just smile and go with the flow. And they did this over and over and over again. Eventually, they started feeling guilty. They felt, you know, they were taking advantage of it. He was a good guy and he was working hard. And so they got together with him to meet with him to talk about how sorry they were for all they'd been doing. And they said, listen, we know these weren't funny to you and we wanted to apologize. We shouldn't have been doing them. We're not going to do them anymore. No more jokes. The little Korean boy who could barely understand English kind of nodded with a grin on his face. He said, you mean no more sticky on the stove? And they said, yes, no more sticky on the stove. And he said, well, no more water fall on me? He said, no, no more water fall on you. He goes, no more nail and shoe? And they said, yes, no, we're not going to nail your shoes anymore, even that. The little boy with a big old grin said, oh, very good. No more spit in your soup. And um, <laughs> many of us can relate to something like that because I wonder how many of us have spent hours and tons of energy trying to figure out ways to get back at people who have done us wrong. How many of us spent a lot of time and effort and energy to try to retaliate, to try to get back those who have hurt us, those who have been mean to us in the past, those who have picked on us? I wonder how many of you have stayed up at night trying to come up with ideas on how you can have the perfect comeback to somebody who has said something mean to you. I don't know about you. I always, whenever somebody says something that's mean or hateful for the next four hours, I think of all the things that I wish I would have said, you know, that I wish I could go back and say them again because it is our human nature. Part of our human nature is that when someone hurts us, when someone does something to us, when someone is mean, when someone betrays us, we just want to get them back. We plot revenge. We plot retaliation. We plan on how we can do something to to get them back for what they did to us. And at the very least, even if we don't plot revenge or even if we don't plot retaliation, we'd like to dream of all the things that we wish bad would happen to them. Telling you the truth. You guys, you you go home and you think, I just love for this to happen to them or that to happen to them. And we expel a lot of energy in our ideas and our plans to retaliate. Well, I've got some good news for you this morning. The Bible gives us a perfect response for those who hurt us. 
Matter of fact, it's an ideal response for you and I on anyone that's betrayed us or disappointed us or let us down or, or, or actually persecuted us or hurt us in any way. It gives us a perfect way to talk to those who have been mean to us, those who have betrayed us. Maybe it's that student at school that always picks on you. Maybe it's that co-worker that is always doing things to make you look bad and to make them look good. Maybe it's that neighbor that likes to spread rumors and gossip about you and tell half-truths. Maybe it's that family member who always makes you the brunt of their jokes every holiday season. Maybe it's that person that you're around all the time that just rubs you the wrong way and they love the fact that they rub you the wrong way. Well, the Bible has a great comeback, and so I hope you are encouraged. The comeback that's going to save you a lot of effort and a lot of energy, a lot of worry about how you can get your revenge. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. I want to remind you, we're going to be looking at verses 14 and 16, but I want to remind you that Romans is split into two sections. Romans chapter 1 through 11 is doctrinal truth. Paul lays out the doctrinal truths of what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a Christian. And then in chapter 12, he takes a turn. And from 12 to the end of the the book, he talks about how we live out those truths that he explained in chapters 1 through 11. And we in this series that we're calling Living Sacrifices have been examining chapter 12. We've kind of been walking slowly through it because in chapter 12, he lays the foundations of how we are to live out the Christian life both in church and outside the church. In verses 1, 2, and 3, I want to remind you, he talked about how we relate to God because of what God's done for us, how we are supposed to relate to Him. In the next verses, 4 through 13, he talks about how we relate to each other in the church. We call that uh, how to build an authentic faith community, how you and I are called to treat each other inside the church. And if you miss those Go back and listen to the podcast. They, I believe the passages there are very important and were a direct message for First Baptist Blowing Rock. How we're supposed to live one with another as part of the body of Christ. And then later on in verse 17 through 21, he's going to talk about how we're supposed to act to those outside the church. But before he talks about that group, he covers a very specific group that can be people outside the church or people inside the church. And he's going to talk about how do we act, how do we respond to those who hurt us? How do we respond to those who have betrayed us? How do we respond to those who have persecuted us, who have done wrong to us? Now remember, if you've been with us, back in verse 9, Paul started this teaching style that is a little different. It's, it's a style in the Greek called paranesis. And what paranesis is, is it's very short to-the-point statements that have little explanation. They're just direct statements. Today we would call those maxims or axioms or even memes. don't explain a whole lot, but they are dead bullseye on to where our heart is. And he's going to continue this all through the rest of the chapter. In verse 14, 15, 16, we're going to look today. They are all part of that paranesis, part of that under... And so let me read where we're going to pick up in verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless those who are mean to you. Bless those who have hurt you. Bless those who have betrayed you. Bless those who disappoint you. Bless and don't curse, for rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And do not be conceited. So how are we supposed to respond to those who have hurt us? Bless them. 
Now, I didn't tell you it was going to be an easy answer. I just told you he gave you an answer. Because that's probably one of the hardest truths for Christians to grasp. Probably one of the hardest tests that you and I will ever experience as a part of Jesus' family, as a part of His disciples, is this idea of learning how to bless somebody when they've hurt us. Now, he uses a very similar format that he used back in verse 9, where Paul lays out a truth in verse 14, and then in verse 15 and 16, he's going to come back and explain what that truth means. He's going to explain how we live it. He did the same thing in verse 9. Verse 9, he told us that we're to love sincerely. And then verse 10, 11, and 12, he told us how we're supposed to love. He explained what that looks like lived out. He does the same thing here on how we're supposed to bless those who persecute us. Now, we're only going to get to verse 14. I'm not going to get to 15 and 16 until next week as I explain some examples because there's so much here to unpack and it's so difficult for us to grasp that I want to make sure that the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to speak to your heart. So we're just going to look at this response to blessing those who persecute us. I acknowledge right off the bat, this is probably the hardest truth that we encounter as Christians. Probably one of the most difficult things we'll ever do is to learn to bless those who betray us, bless those who have hurt us. It's the one thing that separates casual cultural Christianity from those who are willing to let the Holy Spirit control every area of their life. It is a dividing line. It's one of those things that we talk about and we know is true, but many of us don't understand how we're supposed to practice it because it goes against everything we've ever been taught. It goes against our human nature. goes against what we have been raised to believe, especially in North America. We've been taught what? If someone hurts you, you've got to hurt them back. We've been taught that revenge is something that we're supposed to live for. Retaliation is something that that we have got to practice. That if somebody takes advantage of you, then you need to get them back. If someone is mean to you, you need to get them back. You need to teach them a lesson. So the idea that Jesus is telling us through Paul that our response to those kind of people is to bless them is so far away from our reality that it's tough for us to grasp. I understand in my own life it's hard enough to try to bless those in our family that we love that treat us wrong, much less people that are outside that we don't even know or that we don't even have a relationship. But there is no excuse. There is no way around it. And all of it goes back to verse 1. What did he tell us in verse 1? He told us that we are called as Christians to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That means that as a Christian, your responsibility is to give God every area of your life. Every area. You see, my old nature, that old human nature, wants to be angry. It wants to lash out. It wants to pay back. It it wants to hold a grudge. It wants to think of ways that I can get them back and punish them and persecute them. But the thing is, that old human nature is not supposed to be there anymore. Because that old human nature is what you were supposed to lay on the altar as your act of worship. And now as a believer, it's not my old nature that makes decisions on how I'm going to respond. It's the Holy Spirit. See, my right to get angry, my right to retaliate, my right to get my feelings hurt, my right to want to pay them back, all of those things died when I became a new creation. So the issue is not really how we respond. The issue is who's in control of your heart. Because see, the human nature, our old self, It just naturally wants to get paybacks. Just naturally wants to show them that we are better. 
And how we respond when we're hurt by others is probably the greatest test of spiritual maturity for anything else in the Christian walk. It's something can't be faked. Something you can't pretend. It's something that comes out of you naturally. You know, you've heard it said that what's on the inside comes out when you're squeezed. You want to know what's on the inside? Squeeze. You see, you can't fake not wanting to get revenge. It's something you have to work at. Because on the inside, that old nature, when you start to get squeezed, when you're driving down 105 and and someone cuts you off, what's on the inside comes out, right? You parents, when you get up in the middle of the night to go get a drink and you walk through the living room and you step on a pile of Legos, what's on the inside comes out, right? It's just natural. It's just human nature. You can't fake it. And and the thing about it is you can't change overnight. Here's the reality. Me preaching this to you this morning and showing you the truth, you're not going to walk out of here and go, I'm just going to start blessing everybody because it doesn't happen that way. It takes practice, and it takes prayer, and it takes time. But the first thing it takes is you deciding that you're going to let the Holy Spirit take control of that area of your life. It takes you making a determined decision that I am no longer going to respond with my old nature. I'm no longer going to respond with what is natural. I'm going to wait and let the Holy Spirit respond for me. Now, before I get to what the Holy Spirit says we're supposed to do and to try to explain that, I want to just look real quick at verse 14 and address something that is just underscored in verse 14. And it's something that I think is very important for the church today, and it's something we don't hear enough of. Did you notice what he says in verse 14? He says, Bless those who persecute you. Now, he didn't say when you get persecuted or if you get persecuted. Because the understanding to the listeners in Rome was that if you were going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you were going to face persecution. See, one of the only promises we have that is guaranteed as a Christian is that anyone who claims the name Jesus Christ at one time or another is going to face persecution for your faith. He promises it here. He says, you will face persecution. And the early Christians understood exactly what he was talking about. When you strive to live out the truths that are in this book, you will be persecuted. Now, this is something people all around the world are facing firsthand today. Maybe you don't realize it because we are separated from it in the United States of America. But in the 19th and 20th century, more Christians died for their faith in those 200 years than all of the other centuries leading up to the 19th century combined. Think about that. In the last 200 years, more Christians have been put to death simply because they were Christians than all of the other generations ahead. And if the 21st century is any indication, we're going to beat it this time. All across the world right now, people are losing their jobs, they're losing their homes, they're losing their family, and they're losing their lives only because they believe in Jesus Christ. Right now, I think the statistic said 56 Christians an hour are dying somewhere around the world. Right now. While we sit in our comfort, in our air-conditioned or heated building and celebrate communion, people that have celebrated communion that are a part of the body of Christ with us are being put to death only because they're Christians. Now, in North America, we've been mainly sheltered from it, but I believe a day is coming. I believe a day is coming maybe sooner rather than later when the American church is going to come face to face with that same kind of persecution. And to be honest, I think we've done a horrible job being prepared for it. Because for the last 50 years, for the sake of 
selling Christianity for the sake of drawing crowds, for the sake of making people feel comfortable in church, we have downplayed anything that may sound difficult in Christianity. We've downplayed any of the the stuff that is unpleasant, any of the stuff that's difficult. How many times have you heard in, in pulpits pastors tell you you are going to be persecuted? You are going to face pain if you follow Jesus Christ. Do we like to emphasize Christianity as a failure, a cure for our failure, a cure for our low self-esteem? We like to talk about the prosperity of Christianity. We like to talk about the power that's in Christianity. But we don't like to talk about the cost that comes with Christianity. And we've created a cultural, consumer-driven Christianity where the real truth, the real ethics, the real cost of what it means to follow Jesus Christ has been trivialized. And I don't say that to demean the church. I say it because I'm a part of the church. I think we've done a disservice. And I think as we come to a time of testing in the American church, we're not going to know what to do. We're not going to know how to handle it. Because all of the great mysteries of the Bible, the things that, that take you digging in to understand why it is worth the cost to follow Jesus have been trivialized into to little slogans and catchphrases and memes. And, and we think that will give us the power to stand when we begin to face persecution. And our congregations have become audiences and we're nothing more than spiritual consumers. I believe, and I hope it's not true, I pray for revival, honestly, it's just my heart. I pray we experience revival in America like we experienced 200 years ago, and the church begins to see God's power fall in our nation and fall on our, our, our country and fall on our world. But if it doesn't happen, we're in for a rude awakening, and I think the church is already being tested. Jesus was very clear, clearer in almost anything else he said, that those who follow him will be hated. He didn't say those who follow him are going to be success. You're not going to be popular. He said you will be hated. He said you will be rejected and you will be persecuted. Jesus wants you to understand that when you begin to believe that this book is his word and you begin to practice it and you begin to live it, people will hate you. People will persecute you. Now, as I said, in the Bible Belt here in in North America, we're sheltered from it. But people around the world are experiencing it today. Listen to his own words. John 15, 18 says this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. For if you belong to this world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to this world, for I have chosen you out of this world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words that I spoke to you. No servant is greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who has sent me. He goes on in John 16. All of this I have told you so that you will not wander, for they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is doing it in service to God. He's saying when they come to persecute you, they're going to do it thinking we're we're trying to shut them down because they're teaching a different Jesus than what we teach. See, they're teaching teaching this mean Jesus that says Jesus is the only way to heaven. Who in the world would would be so prejudicial to think that there was only one way to get to heaven? And, And we want to teach that Jesus is all love and he loves and he accepts everybody. And so if they teach that, they deserve to be punished. That's what he's telling John. 
He said, they will do such things because they have not known the Father, they have not known me. And I tell you this so that when the time comes, you will remember I warned you. Matthew 24, 9 and 10 says this. Then, he's talking about the end times. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and they will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and they will deceive people. Paul warned Timothy at the church at Ephesus in 2 Timothy 3. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. It's not a popular message, is it? It's not a feel-good message. But Jesus wasn't joking when he said, come to me and die. See, we like the idea, come to me and be forgiven, and you are. Come to me and get mercy, and you do. Come to me and have unconditional love. It's available. Come to me and you will experience power through the Holy Spirit. That's true. But we want to leave out that idea of come to me and die. Come to me and be persecuted. Come to me and face difficulties. Come to me and you may lose your job. Come to me and you may lose your friends. Come to me and you may be rejected by the very people that you thought appreciated and loved you. But it's very clear in this verse, he's warning them, you are going to be persecuted. Now, as I said, not many of those passages get read in church today because it's not popular. People that are visiting church don't want to come and visit a church and have them say, guess what? You follow Jesus, you're going to pay a price. But we'd better wake up and we'd better start preparing in the church. And that preparing doesn't mean a fight. Doesn't mean that we're called to take up arms. Doesn't mean that we're supposed to say, well, we're not going to let that happen in America. We're going to, we're going to stand up and we're going to speak out. You know what it means? It means you and I need to learn to shine the light of Jesus Christ brighter and brighter as the world gets darker. Because our call is not revenge. Our call is not retaliation. Our call is not to protest. Our call is to shine the love and light of Jesus Christ. And he says what? Bless those who persecute you. You don't have to be persecuted for being a Christian. It's easy to get out of. All you've got to do is ignore those first three verses of chapter 12. Don't offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Continue to live in your own self. Don't let the Word of God transform your mind. Don't, don't let this book become a reality to you. Don't, don't teach it and live it and practice it. Conform to the world is what he says. Just go with what's popular, whatever everybody else thinks is popular, whatever everybody else is going along with. Just go with that flow, and nobody will persecute you, I promise you. You don't have to live for Jesus. Live for yourself. Nobody will pick on you. You can throw the name Jesus out every once in a while. You can talk about church and Christianity, but just live however you want, and people will live, leave you alone. But the moment you make a stand for this book, the moment you begin to say there is a right and there is a wrong and there is absolute truth, you better be prepared for what's coming. And we've got to wake up in the church, and we've got to be prepared. We can't keep burying our heads in the sand. Now, most of us will never face that kind of persecution. Oh, you may lose some friends. You may not get invited to a party. Some of you may not get the job you want or the promotion you want because you take a moral and ethical stand. No one in America today is being jailed for their faith. No one is facing harm physically, but it's a reality, and it's coming. 
And instead of sticking our heads in the sand and pretending like it'll never happen, we better be prepared and strengthen the body. What can we do to be prepared to strengthen the body for persecution? First of all, we have got to be diligently in prayer for those around the world who are facing this kind of persecution. Stop looking away. Stop changing the channel. Stop ignoring it. Somebody has got to be a voice for the thousands that are dying around the world today for Jesus Christ. We can't let the world ignore it. We can't let, let the world just keep going on as if it's no big deal. The church of Jesus Christ has brothers and sisters dying, and you and I have got to speak up. It's not right. We've got to call attention to it. The second thing we need to do is we need to raise our children and our grandchildren with a faith that will endure and shine in the days to come. Because you and I may not be jailed, they might be. Cute little slogans, religious platitudes, feel-good stuff is not going to withstand the time of persecution that may come. You and I have got to be serious about teaching our kids the whole counsel of the Word of God, that this is the absolute truth of God's Word. And then the third thing you and I need to do to be ready is we need to be an example of love and grace and mercy and compassion when we face persecution today. Instead of worrying about retaliating, instead of worrying about revenge, instead of worrying about getting people back, Breaks my heart when I see Christians go on TV. And instead of representing the love and the light and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, all they're worried about is trying to play gotcha, trying to get back, trying to blame everybody else. It's not my job. My job is to be Jesus to those who need Jesus. God will take care of the rest. You see, you and I have got to wake up. And that gets us to our response in verse 14. That gets us to how we are supposed to respond, not just to those who are persecuting us, because most of us in this room, we're not really facing persecution. That's why I called it in my title, How Do We Respond to Mean People? Because while you may not face persecution, all of us in this room face mean people. We face people who hurt us. We face people who have betrayed us. We face people who have made our lives much more difficult than it would be if they weren't in our lives. So what does he say we're supposed to do? Bless them. Bless and not curse. Did you notice he used bless twice? Because he didn't want us to miss out on what he was saying. Bless those who curse you. What is he saying? How do you break that down? People in your life that rub you the wrong way, that have hurt you, that have betrayed you, that have been mean to you, your response is to be a blessing to them. Your response is to be a blessing to them. And that, that doesn't just mean pithy statements like saying, well, God bless them. It means actively becoming a blessing to those who have hurt you. Now, I know you're probably thinking about somebody right now. Probably in your head right now, you've got somebody you know that that has hurt you, somebody that's betrayed you, somebody more than anything else has, has done something to you. Walked away, cheated, lied deceived and everything within you in your human nature wants to get them back that's why paul adds the second part of that verse bless and do not curse because when he says curse he's not talking about curse words he's not saying curse at them he's saying 
curse means to wish them bad, to wish evil on them. And I know whoever it is that you're thinking about, maybe it's a family member or a co-worker or a fellow student or somebody in your past, or it may be somebody sitting next to you this morning, and, and, and you've spent so much time and energy thinking of all the bad things that you wish would happen to them. What Paul is saying is that's not your job. You see, Jesus says God will take care of those people. If somebody does something... God's the one who's going to be the judge, not you. And by you planning retaliation, by you planning revenge on them, by you having this great wish list of all the things that you hope would happen to them, what you're doing is you're saying, I don't trust Jesus to take care of it. See, I don't trust that Jesus is going to do it, so I better step in and do it. That's why he says, listen, stop focusing on revenge and start focusing on blessing them. And the idea behind blessing, I love the word there, it's eulagos in the Greek. And it's a combination of two words. It means to speak, which is logos, and you, which means well. To speak well of somebody. It's where we get the English word eulogy. If you go to a funeral and they give a eulogy, what do they do? They speak well of someone. So you see, he's not just saying that you should pray, God, I'm going to bless that person. What it means is you need to practice speaking well about that person. Now, right there, I lost some of you, didn't I? Because you said, Rusty, I, I'm all for, I know I, I'm supposed to love them, and I know I'm not supposed to retaliate, and I know I'm not supposed to seek revenge, and I know, you know, that I'm not supposed to hope that bad things happen. But you mean you're telling me that I'm supposed to speak well of the person who hurt me? No, I'm not telling you. Jesus is telling you. It's hard. And he tells us that's the only response that you and I are supposed to give. Instead of seeking retaliation or revenge, we need to find something good about them to say. When somebody comes up to you and says, oh, what about so-and-so, that worker? Instead of blasting them, bless them. Oh, I heard what so-and-so did to you. Instead of saying, yes, and here's what I'm going to do to them, in your head, in your practice, you need to say something good about them. I'm reminded of a lady in church that used to get on everybody's nerves because she was so positive. You ever know those kind of people that everything's good, everything's happy. She, she never had a negative thing to say. Everything was always positive about people and things. And one of her friends said, listen, Judy, you're wearing us out. Everything can't be happy all the time. Everybody can't be good. Matter of fact, you could probably find something nice to say even about the devil. Judy thought for a moment and she said, well... Come to think of it, he is always on the job. <laughs> what Paul is telling us is that you and I need to practice being a blessing instead of being a curse, even to those people who hurt us. And it comes straight from Jesus' mouth. Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, You have heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. Before the Old Testament came along, do you know what, do you know what, if somebody did something to you, do you know how, what they did? Total revenge. Somebody came and poked your eye out, you know what you did? You went and poked both of their eyes out, or you poked all of their family's eyes out. You killed them all. Just revenge. Then the Old Testament law came along, Moses came along, and, and they changed it, and it was revolutionary. They said, no, listen, we're not talking about revenge anymore. We're going to call this equal retribution, and that's the law of equal retribution. 
Instead of, you poke my eye out, I kill your whole family and burn your house down. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. And that sounded pretty reasonable. Instead of retaliating by going overboard with revenge in the Old Testament, they said, listen, we're, we're not going to do that. What we're going to say is, if you hurt somebody, then we're going to hurt you equally. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and says, wait a minute, i got a new plan. Instead of revenge, and instead of equal retribution, we're going to try grace and mercy. And when somebody is your enemy, instead of paying them back, you bless them. And you love them. Luke says it this way in Luke chapter 6. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So here's how you bless somebody. Somebody hurts you, somebody betrays you, somebody does something wrong. Pray for God to bless them the same way you would pray for God to bless you. Now think of how your last prayer when you ask God to bless you. God bless my family. God bless my job. God bless my health. God bless this thing I've got facing me this week. What he's saying is the next time someone is mean to you, the next time someone is hurting you, not only speak well of them, but speak well of them to God. Pray that God would do the same thing to them that you want him to do in your life. Now why in the world would he do that? I beat my head up against, God, why? It feels good, right? Retribution feels good. Revenge feels good. Man, how good does it feel when you have the perfect comeback and you've been practicing it forever, right? You, you've been practicing this line. Wait, I'm just going to wait until they say that and then, man, I'm going to blast them and everybody's going to be ready. And it works out. They say that cue and all of a sudden everything you've been planning comes together and you blast them and man, it feels so good, doesn't it? Because that's the flesh. Why would Jesus want us to do this? Because what it does in blessing others is it models the same grace and the same second chance that you and I got. When I cursed God, when I did evil to God, when I walked away from God, God didn't give me revenge. God didn't give me retribution. Praise the Lord. What did he give me? He blessed me. And you know what also? It frees up your heart of all of that anger and hate and bitterness that you've allowed that person to build in you. Because that stuff will kill you. Stuff will eat you out from the inside out. When you begin to practice blessing instead of blasting, God begins to change you. He begins to all of a sudden start looking more like Jesus. Now let me close with this. It's where the water hits the wheel, rubber hits the road. This is where it gets real. All of us have someone in mind right now. Someone who you've probably been cursing for a little while. Someone who you've been wishing they had what was coming to them. Wishing they got what was coming to them? Let me ask you this question. Are you willing this morning to ask God to bless them instead of blast them? I read somewhere that our enemies are not really those people who hate us as much as they are the people that we hate. Are you willing to try it this morning? Who is that one person that's wronged you more than anybody else? Who is that one person that 
that even when you forgive everybody, you hadn't been able to forgive them. Still holding back. Will you pray right now in just a moment for that individual who has hurt you the most? Maybe it's that parent who's wounded you. Maybe it's a child who's broken your heart. Maybe it's a friend who turned on you. A friend who betrayed you. Maybe it's a co-worker that spread lies about you. Maybe it's that bully at school. Maybe it's an ex-wife or an ex-husband. Maybe it's that in-law that always is a problem. Are you willing to say, God, bless them? And if you're willing to do that, can you take it a step further and say, God, this week I'm going to figure out a way that I can verbally bless them with my lips. I'm going to say something good about them. I'm going to bless them. Now just imagine this. That person who is your thorn in the flesh, that person who has worn you out, that person who has picked on you, that person who has lied about you, that person that has betrayed you, what would happen if word got back to them that you were saying good things about them? What would happen? That would be more of an incredible Christian witness than any sermon I could ever preach. That person that it grinds on you and all of a sudden you started talking them up and blessing them to people around you, that co-worker, you started finding good things. And I know sometimes it's hard to find good things about some people, right? But you found those good things and you encouraged it and you blessed it and you promised yourself you weren't going to curse them. Imagine how it would change. Instead of seeking retribution and revenge, ask God to help you to be redemptive. Because that's the business we're in. I can tell you this morning, the struggle is real. It's hard. But it starts with you saying, I'm going to try. And sometimes it's an incremental change. Sometimes you pray and begin to pray, God bless them, and you start praying, and and all of a sudden you hate them 10% less. I mean, let's just be honest. And you keep trying, and then all of a sudden you hate them 30% less. And then before long, who knows? what God might do to your heart. Because see, Paul says our only response to mean people in our lives is to bless them. And you will never do anything in your life more Christ-like than loving your enemies. And here's the truth. Loving and blessing the mean people in your life, it may never change them but I promise it'll change you. Let's pray.